Here at Text Talks, we constantly strive to spotlight authentic music trailblazers, which is why we're excited to have Text Talks styled by Ray-Ban this summer, helping us in our pursuit of featuring artists who are not afraid to be their authentic selves. You've got the look. Now come and have some fun with us in the sun. Together, Text Talks and Ray-Ban are saying, if you've got a challenge for us, no matter what it is, you are on. You can't predict the light, but with Text Talks and Ray-Ban, you are always ready to capture it by living each day in the moment. You are on. Define your style at superbulous.com. Hello and welcome to Tex Talks. I am Tex and today I am talking to a highly skilled musician, producer and mixing engineer who has been expertly trained in the ancient art of Leganes. With a unique understanding of music and its intricacies, he has excelled both on stage and off and his acute attention to detail to every project that he's involved in only serves to elevate the polished, finished product, whether it's in Van Pletzen, Yesterday's Pupil, Bitter Ender, or his recent online talk show, Prating, a 13-episode show that features guests like Stogie T, Jack Parrow, and The Kiffness. His chats range from philosophical conversations to raw, ridiculous banter, where he talks to his guests about death, porn, antidepressants, psychedelics, and a bunch of other topics that were clearly too big for TV. And because networks were bang and not chariot, the only brand gangster and punk enough to get on board with him was Jägermeister. I'm, of course, talking about Peach Van Pletzen. Peach, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my friend? We're going to be prodding, prodding. We're going to be prodding. Wow, thank you very much. I'm not sure where you got all that cuck from, but it's good to be here. <laughs> I got it from my mind brain. I wrote it all down. Wow, elevating projects to the next level. I, need to, I might need to hire you to get me some work. During. <laughs> Listen, I, you don't need to hire me to get you some work. I mean, they call you Die Prince van die Nord. So I've actually got Gauteng royalty <laughs> with me today. You know what I'm saying? But I want you to take me all the way back to okay. a young Pierre Henri. Yes, I actually wow. know what your real name is. Wow. <laughs> Growing up in Pretoria, shout out Dimut. Yep. What do you remember when you think of home and your earlier years? Definitely growing up. In the moot, I still love the the moot, and I have a um, like part. I have a very soft spot for the moot, and it it's got a very small. It's like it's almost stuck in the eighties a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to primary school there, and it was a very much a little bubble. And I remember when I went from primary school to high school, which was a, an art school called Pro Arte, Pro Arte. Um, which is where Peach was born, but we'll get into that now. Uh, it <laughs> kind of was like going from Bloemfontein to Los Angeles. That's what it felt like to me. It was a shock to my whole system and, and core 
and um, it was just really nice to have such a such an intense contrast um sort of so early in life and instantly getting this this whole new perspective and seeing kids with long hair and piercings and mm. smoking and talking about drugs and sex and art and poetry like and i was like okay what uh, so the world is bigger than i thought um and that's all i remember from growing up really but your initial intention was to become an actor and not necessarily a musician. But I want to know, where did this intense love for the arts come from? Like, did Mr. and Mrs. Van Pletzen encourage you to pursue the things that you liked? I wouldn't say that they encouraged me to go into that field. They certainly didn't discourage me. And once I decided to to venture there, they, they were very supportive. Um, I just think... It's kind of in the blood in a way. I always thought when I was young that grown-ups go, all grown-ups go on TV because um, it was such a normalized thing for me. So I thought that's what happens when you grow up. That's what adults do. Um, so, you know, I was taking the steps to become one of those grown-ups. And uh, obviously I have a love for for acting and and, and film and um, stage and I went to Praate and I did drama and the plan mm. was always to go and study drama after school as well and then um, music sort of uh, hijacked the whole thing somewhere between standard seven and eight. That's so interesting that you thought that like all grown-ups go to TV and like end up in TV. I mean, was I it- honestly thought that people ask me how, so how did it feel seeing your parents on TV? And I was like, it felt as normal as a, a dentist child or a doctor's child seeing their parents, you know, in a in a lab coat or in some kind of, you know, uh, yeah, some kind of outfit. And um, I just thought that, you know, when you grow up, you go into the TV and I was getting ready for that. So I don't know this about you. Were your parents... On TV, were they film stars? Were they news presenters? Superstars. Superstars. Re- oh, <laughs> superstars. No, they, I come from a very, let's say, dramatic family. All actors I would and have never singers. said. <laughs> yeah. All of them in, in entertainment. Literally not just the, the immediate family, but the step family as well. And the brothers-in-law. The whole crew is just batshit, crazy, dramatic actors living and breathing their way through this life on this ridiculous ball floating through space. I love it. I love it. So tell me, so tell me, what of your, what were your parents in? I want to know now if I know them, if I've grown up watching them. Okay. Um, I never actually talk about, about that, but, but, you know, in the spirit of um, honesty and yeah, let's communication... Hoi. Let's hoy. Um, have you heard of a show called Orkney Snorkney? Uh, yes. Do you know a character called Spike? Yes. Well, that's my dad. Oh, my God. And, that uh, is amazing. So he was obviously also Obas on Seven Elan for like a decade and a half. Um, and my mom is Alzette Marskalk, and she was in things like... Binnenkring, Sonkring, Vierde Kabinet, Lipstick, Dipstick, 
You and are blowing my mind right now. A whole bunch of other things. My sister Zetska von Pletzen, who was on, I mean, also a lot of things. Yo, begeertes getrouwd met rugby. I'm trying to, because the funny thing is, I don't watch any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, and they know that, and it's there's no pressure to to stay up to speed with what everyone's doing. As mm -hmm. long as you love one another, then it's all good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and yeah, and my stepfather, Joseph Clark, is a monster, monster singer who initially came to South Africa from America as a ballet dancer, ballet superstar. And um, my stepmother is an actress and a writer. And my sister's husband is also an actor. This so. this is phenomenal. So you you break the mold somewhat, not steering too far away from the arts, but you go into music and yeah. you start your first band in high school, as one does, you know, when you as want you to do. experiment. And yep. when you were 16, you guys win a battle of the bands. And then you start performing in clubs that you were actually like too young to, to like even 100%. enter, very naughty. But did everyone at school think that you were like, ka cool? <laughs> I must have. You know, that's the funny thing is um, I think music then, maybe it's because it was a pre-social media era, was a very sort of outcast, misfit type, punk, grungy thing. So I'm sure there were a handful of kids that was like, you know, they cool, they cool. Um, but it certainly wasn't, I don't, I, I don't know. It wasn't as, you know, the same way it is now. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we played sort of new metal rock and roll kind of Lincoln Park, Limp Bizkit style corn, that sort of vibe, uh, which let's be honest is extremely cool. Um, and we would go to clubs like Nile Crocodile and totally play, you know, as underage kids. And part of the battle of the bands and, and those events would be first the bands play pool against one another, which we lost. And um, then you play and perform and then they rate your music abilities and whatnot. And then at the end, there's this beer downing or beer drinking contest. And the funny thing is, we won that. So of course uh, you did. We were like 15 and 16 years old and <laughs> um drinking like, you know, people in their mid 20s under the table in a club that should we should not be allowed in, but that's also the cool thing of the pre-social media era is mm -hmm. that only happens that one night. It doesn't go beyond that. No one cares, no one f is filming you or posting it or making a a political statement or getting super politically correct on your ass or, or anything like that. It's really just, oh, that happened and then it's gone and it's all in the past. Was this band called Shoe? Yes, S-H-U. S-H-U. Now, people on my timeline, and we have a lot of mutual friends, people on my timelines still talk about Shoe. And still talk about like, ah, oh, the good old days and how great Shoe was. So, I mean, you guys must have, in the years that you were active, you must have built up like a decent fan base in, in, in Pretoria. No, we, we, we definitely did. And, and we did a few tours to, to Cape Town and Stellenbosch and I think Durban, maybe Bloom. Um, 
And Shu actually had a very, very, very loyal fan base mm-hmm. where we would, you know, sell out places like Tings and Times and Nile Crocodile, literally like um, every every kind of show. But that was part of the the scene, and the band lasted for for seven years, and it spawned many other bands um, that sort mm-hmm. of came off the back of Shu. Among it um, was Kid of Doom. Wrestlerish and obviously yesterday's pupil and eventually also Bitter Einder and Van Pletzen. So Shu was like a breeding ground and I think it's a very good uh, having your roots in rock and roll is a very good sort of place to start. Mm, definitely. And then when you decided to go to varsity, you studied jazz and you specialized in, in drums. But I want to know at what point do you start getting into production? Like, was this something that you only started learning while you were at university or were you like already a master of Fruity Loops before you started your studies? Funny enough, I never touched Fruity Loops. <laughs> I actually, I started on a little program called Reason, which okay. the, the, the producer dorks out there will definitely know. And that I started with messing around on in, in high school already when I was very influenced by, you know, like Ninja Tunes and uh, Aphex Twin and Amon Tobin, those sort of um, artists. And I think a lot of them were probably also working on Reason. And then the plan was always to go study drama, but then Shoe happened and I started falling in love with music and live music and the chemistry of playing with, with other people. And I decided to go study jazz and one of the subjects we had to do on the course was um, music technology, which is pretty much recording, engineering and and mixing. Okay. And um, the funny thing is I then got Cubase or Innuendo or whatever, Cubase, I think. And I started a little side hustle where I would do people's um, audio projects for them for either money or weed (laughs) as you do and um, they would never hear it but I can guarantee that you would pass but I have to I can't get caught so I can't make it all too similar or the same you will pass but you know you you can't have any say in in how it's going to sound so one month I had to do like 14 or 15 people's projects and um, about seven songs in, I'm starting to run a bit dry and I'm starting oh. singing, you know, like it's this jazz jazz progressions with this R&B beat. And I'm like, girl tonight, gonna make sweet love, gonna make sweet love. And it's like, <laughs> this project's for Emilio and he gets his grade and he's got his 75% and the lecturer's like, yeah, Emilio? Never realized you're such a Casanova, uh, you know, with all your lovemaking that you do on the weekend. And um, so, yeah, Emilio, I I wrote, you know, about making sweet love for him. And another one had like a sort of strong homosexual undertone, which Sexy. was also good. And, um, yeah, you just sort of go with it. And as long as they pass... They, they 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 were happy. So I still have all these tracks on a CD somewhere, um, which I would love for you guys to play at my funeral when I die. 
Um, I love the emphasis on CD um, because it's such a <laughs> novel <laughs> medium to yeah. use now. How do we go from gangster of love to yesterday's pupil? Where does this now start and how do you curate this solo project? Yeah, so when Shu started coming to an end in 2007, um, I realized like, you know, the band is ending, but I want to keep doing live music and live shows. And I thought, you know, I'm going to just do it by my by myself. And I'll do something that's in between like a band sounding or an indie disco sounding project and mm -hmm. also club music, um, which was a weird, well, it was strange because I was always the odd one out. When I played on a band lineup, I was the DJ dude. And when I played on a DJ lineup, I was the band guy. So um, yesterday's shoe played our last show in like September 2017 at Tings and October 20, ugh, 20, 2007 at Tings. Yesterday's pupil played. Um, well, I played my first show as yesterday's pupil. So it just, it was literally like Shu just handed the little Uflos stocky and I kept running sort of, you know, in a whole new terrain on my own. And yeah, and that's sort of this was the next chapter, I guess. What is an Uflos stocky? Because as much <laughs> as this <laughs> podcast uh, is supposed to educate all of its listeners. It also educates me in terms of Afrikaans because I've really struggled with Vital over the years. And I feel like if anyone's going to explain to me what it is, it's you. It's it's actually simple. You know when you do relay in like athletics and they carry mm -hmm. that little metal the baton. stick? Is it a baton? See, I'm the one getting educated because <laughs> I said aflostoki because I have never heard of the word baton, mm -hmm, except baton. when I turn to someone to say, roll me a baton. But um, yeah. Okay. So there we go. Yeah. I got past, I passed the baton to myself <laughs> from shoe to yesterday's pupil and then just sort of started there. Talk to me about this phase in your career a little bit more. Cause you dropped your debut album the next year in, in 2008 and then you played your first couple of international shows as well with yesterday's people. And like, you just were crushing it completely. Yeah, that was, that was some of the wildest, honestly, times of my life. And there's some, um, yo, there's some stories from, from 2009, like, yeah, this, the funniest thing happened. So I dropped the album in 2008 called Errors of enthusiasm, which is exactly what it was, <laughs> especially listening to it now. Uh, but uh, there was this amazing, like, slightly, you know, controversial, edgy, but really cool um, designer artist called Piet Pinar, mm -hmm. who was very active in Cape Town at that stage. And he had, like, Bruce Lee magazine and the president um, design company, in Spin Street, and he decided because he he really loved yesterday's pupil. And I still don't know why, but he would tell me I was a electro hot, and I was like, no, no, no. oh wow, wow. Uh, listen, but I don't think you know how this stuff really works. But okay, and he was like, I have an idea. 
I'm going to put together, I'm going to put you with some people and you're going to come down to Cape Town for a few months and you're going to create something. And uh, he put me with Francho van Kouk and uh, Jakub Bauer, who mm -hmm. is director, and Hunter did some writing, but he was doing so much shrooms in those days to try and find inspiration for the next A King album, which was also happening sort of in that time that he just sort of fell <laughs> out of the whole ship. And Francho and I had to live together and come up with music for this play. And um, we didn't really know what to do or to write. And the first song we wrote was called Pianus uh, with mm -hmm. Francho, who's this rock star in Folk of Polisikar, suddenly singing over Electro, Pianus, Pianus, Pianus is my liver. And um, that song got buried um i obviously still have it but um and the play was born two to 21 it should have been more like i tell you at least six people walk walk you know would walk out um every night oh and it gosh. would run at car car and car and art club and, and all those places and it born it birthed the band Werloch frankenstein mm -hmm, which was mm -hmm. myself and Francois van Coke, and also because of that and the time we spent together at all these festivals he asked me to produce um, an album for his new other band called van Coke cartel and we started also working on skopskit and donner but then piet said he wants to take all of us to argentina for a tour yesterday's pupils going to play at this massive um, tramachi design conference in a huge like basketball arena with his visuals, who was actually operated uh, by Daniel, I think Daniel Ting Chong. Oh, wow. Am I saying that right? I think I so. think it is Ting Chong, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we were all suddenly in Argentina and, and um, doing shows from like basketball arenas to art galleries to like weird underground rave parties and I would do Yesterday's Pupil, and then we would do Werloch Frankenstein, and then I would play drums in Van Gogh Cartel. So I'd be on stage for like two and a half, three hours doing three completely different types of um, vibes. And there was a, I'm not sure how much Francho has revealed about all, all this, <laughs> but shortly, uh, uh, maybe, no, maybe I should go into that. Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was crazy. So, Yesterday's people went to Argentina and then at another point to Poland with Ajax, who also then became, you know, the front man of Bitter Ender. So I'm very, very happy that you, ha you have divulged all of this to me because when I interviewed Francois, who is also going to be on this season of Text Talks, by the way, we spoke about all of the crazy stories about him, oh. Van Koch, and fuck off over the year and what's true and what's not. And he yeah. mentioned that he worked with you on a play and you were writing this music. And then he said to me, yeah, 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 but that's a story for another day. I can't get into that right now. So I'm very happy that we've got at least 90% of the story. Yeah, you did. I would say you got 70 or 80 because I think I'm the, happy with that. the part he did not want to get into 
is probably the 30% that I'm also maybe leaving out. And he just decided to leave the whole thing and not even touch it with like, uh, it was a weird time. And whenever I speak to him about it now, I think that time bonded him and me probably mm-hmm. for life. Um, is he, he would always say, I'd go like, yo, wow, that was 2009 and 10 was such a cool time. And we did all these tours together and, he would look at me and get all quiet and go, that was a donker tight. Uh, <laughs> it was a dark time. And I was like, okay, well, you, for you, it was obviously heavy and dark, but I was just like bright eyed and like, you know, suddenly producing music for like the singer of Folk of Pulisikar and like going overseas. And I was just like, dude, this shit is, it's happening. It's amazing. And uh, I knew it was dark. And I mean, I saw a lot of stuff, but I, I I don't think I could grasp at that age or at that stage in my life just how heavy some of that must have been to to actually carry. Mm, mm. Yeah. So up until this point in time, you're making music in English, and uh, yeah. Yaku Fanamava, uh, yes. the frontman and rapper of Bitter Ender was also uh, writing English lyrics. So when you join up with Louis Menard, who also at this point was, you know, uh, working with Van Gogh Cartel and making really dope music videos, at what point do you guys decide, okay, now we're going to do this thing, we're going to get together, and it's going to be an Afrikaans-focused project? Yeah, that's the, the strange thing is Yaku was rapping in English under the name Ajax. Mm. And he got invited to perform nine or 10 shows all over Poland, starting with this massive festival called Afrikamera Festival. And he asked me to go with him and two other artists as the producer. And we're going to work together for two weeks. We're going to put a show together and I'm going to make some beats for him to rap over. And then yesterday's people can also, you know, either open or close um, the shows every night. Mm-hmm. And I said, cool, you know, Poland, you know, yeah, let's, let's check it out. And, um, we started working together and putting the show together. And while in the car, uh, one night driving, I think from Gdansk or Krakow or Warsaw to, to somewhere, um, Rotswaf. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he wants to now start writing and rapping in Afrikaans and make an, you know, form an Afrikaans rap group. Mm -hmm. And will I be interested in like making beats and being the producer? And I was like, Afrikaans rap. Okay. Lekker. Chill. Become rustig. Like that's ever going to be a thing. Um, and obviously, uh, we had a frame of reference in the form of like Brasa van Kaap and stuff, but mm-hmm. it, it, we never thought it could, you know, turn into what it's turned into. There was no Jack Barrow um, or any anything like that on the scene yet. And anyway, we got back from Poland and we made it Lollipop Roadhouse, not Lollipop Lounge. Yeah. So yes, the roadhouse, not the whorehouse, <laughs> okay? And... Uh, <laughs> And um, 
we him and I chatted and he was like, I want to get Louis Menor in as the sort of visual pillar and Yaku will be the, the lyricist and the rapper and I will do the beats. And, um, you know, I was like, okay, let's, let's get started. And, um, I saw some of his lyrics. He left a book there the one day after the session and I sort of paged through it. And then I realized like, holy shit, this dude writes, he was good in English, but in Afrikaans reading what, what he was writing, I was like, this shit hits like way different and needs to be heard and needs to be produced and needs music and it's poetry i actually yeah it was poetry but nothing was taboo he was writing about like his guilt about afrikaans and coming back around and starting to embrace it and bloodlines and tying it in with dancing and partying and i was like dude where the what the <laughs> how do, do, you, do you do that it just moves so fast it's like and it just poured right out of him. I mean, he probably won't put it like that, but I was just like, this dude is insanely talented with with the pen. Um, and then I actually got, during that stage, really busy in studio with Franco Cartel, and Louis started making some of the beats as well, mm -hmm. which actually turns out that, you know, that was really cool because I think the combination and the synergy between Louis and myself when it came to the music and the beats turned it into something more unique that none of us could have really envisioned or planned. It was more mm. like we just created an environment for creativity and creation to happen in and to flourish in without any of us actually having any kind of clear end picture in mind or any desire to even control what it must become and just to let it be and trust the the sort of organic process. I think that that's where the strength of Bitter Ender lies because you all excel individually at what you do. And then when you put it together, it's like this explosive combination of Afrikaans rap and like visual stimulation. That's also one of the things that I have grown to love about Bitter Ender so much is your live performances, which are just incredible. And uh, I really look forward Thank to you. you guys performing on a on a bigger stage, on a festival stage. Um, I think my my favorite performance of yours that I saw was Opie Copy in 2016. Um, no, that one was was special. Yeah. So many you so many people still recall that one because I think Oppie was also in such a great space mm -hmm. then and I think that attendance was like amazing and Bitter Einder was in a in a very high peak as well. And visually, musically, um, we and we had a big catalog by then and it was just sort of like we were basically playing greatest hits um and you know going very theatrical and sort of incorporating drums and and all sorts of things and louis was getting more and more sort of you know deeper and more over the top with the visuals we're thinking back to it now i'm even like i i don't even think we realized what we were actually busy making mm. while you have it it's just it's so funny how 
you you need time and distance from your own creation or art in order to be able to to absorb it or appreciate it i wish i you know i could could do that show now again obviously <laughs> you know i think most most musicians in the world are probably wishing the same thing Oh my god! Any kind of performance at the moment, any kind of live show, just just give me a stage. Well, not me because I don't. I I just interview musicians. I don't actually make the music, but yeah, hey, you should. You should. Well, you know, maybe the next time you're messing around and um, you need someone, I'll sample to... you eating some spanakopita, oh, and I'll on. turn it into a snare drum and. <laughs> I'm here for the samples if you need me. I, my okay. schedule's not busy. Like, <laughs> I'll drop you a voice note. Or we can do it in studio professionally. <laughs> Let's start with the voice notes, and I'll send you the voice note over a beat. And if you like that, if you telling, if you respond with fire emojis, I'll be like, okay, let's take it to the studio. Oh my god, amazing! Okay. So before we continue with the episode, we would just like to tell you about something that is very close to our hearts over at Text Talks, and that's the people of South Africa. During these unprecedented times, those who are the most vulnerable have had to shoulder an almost impossible burden, the daily struggle to find food. The never-ending lockdowns have made an existing situation worse, with those in need struggling to find a solid meal. Enter Essay Harvest. Essay Harvest is based on four essential pillars, and one of them is education. Raising awareness about food waste, food rescue, food security, and nutrition, and driving a process that helps people to become food sufficient through sustainable and appropriate educational programs and technologies. So head over to essayharvest.org and donate now. And now back to the episode. Um, but talk to me a bit about your journey as a producer from founding Sleep Room Studios in 2006, which eventually evolved into Planet Awesome. Yes. Yeah, I, I've always had a massive passion working with other artists. Um, and also, I believe I've always been good at spotting things and potential and hidden things in people and then pushing them or creating a space for that to to flourish in and to mm -hmm. come out and um, I, I've always loved that process because as a producer you are very hands-on but you're not necessarily emotionally attached to the the music it's not your necessarily like your your words and your feelings and and that is such a cool space to work um in with someone's you know precious art and it's it's actually really cool to be able to not be overly connected or precious about it and mm -hmm. just switch between being objective and what do you think is cool but also retaining the the sort of emotional integrity of the music. And um, I started working with a lot of different artists, which also sort of over a variety of genres. Van Kouk, Skopskit and Dornet was obviously full on rock and roll album. And I said, let's get this beast guitarist in. 
and let him rip solos right here. We're going to do, and they were like, isn't this too long? I'm like, no, 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 no. Once the guitar solos comes in, it's going to be insane. And then here and here, and eventually this guy comes in and he slays like all over the album. And Franchon and Vaynon are both looking at me and like, dude, is this cool or not? I'm like, it's fucking cool. It's rock and roll. It's like 70s. It's got the spirit. And, and they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, I'm sure. And the thing is, I think that, for example, um, they needed to get a guy who could do the shit live. And mm. they found Jay. Thank God. And that then again blossomed into a whole new um, era and of Funko Cartel and also Franchois and his writing relationship with Jed. They were a bit of a like dream team almost. And um, then the same sort of process I think I try to do um, whether I'm working with a, a pop sort of star, someone like Craig Lucas or Armand Hubert or, um, you know, it, it, I always have that philosophy of let's make something that you don't yet know you can make mm-hmm. and take it from there and let's shock ourselves by how amazing or how shit it is. <laughs> you mentioned Armand Joubert. What did you work with him on? Because I think he's phenomenal. No, he really is. I produced, I think what happened was when the voice, so Craig, Lucas won and I think Armand came second. Am I right? I think. I think. And both of them, yeah, both of them got sent to me with Craig. We had to bang out a whole bunch of songs in like three days in in Joburg and he was exhausted. Shame. He was like, I just think he was so tired after the whole, the voice thing. And then he had to do, you know, and there was no time for him to even think about what his sound might be. And Mm. I was just like, we're going now, you know. And with Armand, I think we only had to do one or two songs. I'm trying to remember what the song was called. Um, uh, let me see. Uh, I'll find it. I'll, I will. I'll, I'll find it. But mm-hmm. um, it's a it's a banger. It's a banger. And then since then, I've worked with um, like Matt. Carstens, uh, Bauer Bosch on the Cyclus film, Sam Thing, Soweto, Hello Beautiful, um, obviously the Kiffness, uh, Ross Jack, Jan Blokers, I'm trying to remember. I feel like I'm missing people and they're going to maybe be annoyed. No, don't worry. I mean, we can tell that you're a very busy man, but then... Where yeah. where do you have time to fit or start what is arguably the best duo in the history of the world, Van Pletsen, <laughs> uh, that you I started with quote. Max? I need <laughs> this quote that I need it on repeat and I need to play it while I sleep as, as a reminder that it is indeed the best duo, duo in the history of the world. Yeah, when we talk about the best duo in the history of the world, we talk about Van Pletsen. The two are synonymous with each other. Oh, 
I'm I'm smiling really <laughs> inside my soul as well. I'm um, getting I'm look, getting my producer to isolate this bed and send it to you. <laughs> please, please, and I'll put music under it and um, <laughs> get naked and in the bath and then just listen to it. The best viewer in the history of the world. The best viewer the in the history of the world. Sounds like a good night out. You know, uh, it is. It's as good as you, as it can be. But okay, so yeah. I, how do I find time? The, the thing is, um, I actually hired this very talented half French bombshell of a young producer called Mathieu Arrecombe. Okay, so this is also something that has eluded me forever. How do I pronounce Mathieu's surname? Ariacombe. 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 Depends where you are and what you are. But it's not Abercrombie. Okay. Um, although I once uh, had a fight with his older brother, Johan, mm-hmm. and I called him Abercrombie and bitch. <laughs> Stop being such an Abercrombie and bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I hired Mathieu. Um, this was pre-Nax, and um, we produced so much music together for other artists. Um, if people only knew the hits that they love that that we created, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But uh, and we, th- at that point, I moved to the studio to Greenside in Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. I actually think I bumped into you there one day. Uh, yes, shadow boxer, maybe. Yes, yes, we um, did. I was uh, suffering from a very bad hangover. I remember it very clearly. I've been expecting you. You a hangover? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, we were working and we were steadily busy for like over a year. And then suddenly there was this little lull for a few days. And we were like sitting drinking beer actually at Shadowboxer and we were speaking about Afrikaans music and what we thought was just missing and lacking and then I said why don't people just write in Afrikaans the way they talk like mm. you know Swai Mea Zab and Kumas Loop Nari Shop and Chowing Space Cakes on an Island because it's like if you go on an island as a 20 something with a you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and you have to write a song about that. Why do the minute it becomes Afrikaans, do people think it needs to become more wholesome and holy? You will write about getting naked, and if if it's if you're telling it to a friend, and we got naked and we ran on the beach and we chowed space cakes and we got shit faced that night in the bar, and then you know we went up to the room and holy fuck, like what? A- and then I was like, well, why don't people write that song in Afrikaans? And then we said, well, let's go do it. And we went into the studio and we literally wrote and recorded Zaberfluten and Eilandstale. And, uh, Two of the best it, tracks ever recorded in the history of the world. History of man. Yes, of <laughs> course. And uh, I mean, we were like, well, that happened kind of fast and organically. And, you know, things don't always have to take long in order for them to be you know meaningful or 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 good and you know and 
I said, well, so I like these songs. What are we going to do now? Let's shoot a video and put it out. And, and we did that. And people were legitimately very, not just confused, but concerned because <laughs> of my background, you know, Yesterday's pupil, Bitter Einder, which is very sort of conscious um, as well. Mm -hmm. And and suddenly it's like Eilandstail. And, and they asked me, they're like, dude, are you serious? And I said, well, I you know, recorded it and paid for a music video. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fucking serious. Just because it's funny doesn't mean it's, you know, a joke it's like asking a comedian or someone working on a comedy film if he's serious it's like yeah we're still you know making <laughs> and and then they said are you trying to make mainstream afrikaans pop music and you're just failing and i said no, oh wow this is something else and by the way if you're overthinking it you're doing that to yourself mm. think less and just Relax, like no one went to LMF. What are LMFAO? LMFAO. LMFAO. Mm -hmm. I'm sexy and I know it. And said, hey, Party you guys serious? You know, what's up with, you know? But the minute you move something into Afrikaans, it's just, it's just pop music at the end of the day. Um, and if you take hip-hop influences, hip-hop is always kind of funny and cheeky and quirky and... There's there's always either that energy or super sort of you know gangster, hmm. and um, we we didn't know what we were going to make or getting into. We just went with it and we trusted the process <laughs> and we were having fun because it was such a cool space to to move from the English and from the serious vibe to like satirical over the top and you realize wow this has formed the perfect sort of climate to be and become things we've never been and that we can't even fathom ourselves there was no lecher or lecherness or any of that but you couldn't get to that point had it not started you know where it started and uh the funny thing is after goat dropped which is the Iman Bala Uber, which we shot in the back of an Uber. Cheapest music video idea ever. Give the guy 1,500 bucks, shit ton of weed, and then you just roll. And um, after that, people were like, okay, no, uh, we get it. It's cool. It's cool. And I'm like, you should never have doubted it, you motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when Tex in the City wrote a video review of Eilandsdale and you messaged me afterwards and you were like, thank you for getting it because there are a lot of yes. people who don't. <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of people just didn't didn't get it. And um, I get it also, Eilandsdale, even early B, when I messaged them and I'm like, I want to... You know, I want us to work together and do tracks. I love what you're doing. And I really know that this will hold hands. Um, and the songs I want to do with you doesn't exist yet, but I know it's going to be, I just know what it, what, how it needs to feel. So all I can send you so, so long is Eilandsdale and Zabra and I think maybe Goud. 
And he replied and he was like, no, cool, cool. He digs it. He, he, he digs the vibe. It's different. It's unique. And um, eventually we started working together and, and there was a very strong chemistry. And years later, he said to me, my bro, I'm going to be honest with you. When you sent me that stuff for the first time, I was like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? I don't know if this is cool. I don't know if people are going to like this. I don't even know if this is the best thing. I've heard or seen or whether this is just cock, my bro. And I was just like, but he's like, but I get it. I get it now. <laughs> but I must be honest with you. I, I was confused. <laughs> like, you know, Peach, the but, first time I saw Early B perform was with you guys at Millipop. That was the year that we got all rained out. That was mole. Yes. But I discovered Early B through you. And for that, I will be forever grateful and indebted. But when I interviewed him, on the second season of Text Talks, he spoke about you and about Nax as well. Like you guys are family, like you've got this beautiful brotherly relationship. Talk to me about yeah. working with, with Earl and establishing like this really close epic connection, even now. Yeah, that, no, that dude, he really is like my brother. And when he comes to, to Joburg, even if it's for his own work and things that, that has nothing to do with me, he always comes and, and stays over and we'll smoke hubbly till like three in the morning, <laughs> having huge chats. I don't know. It just, it was a natural chemistry and synergy and we just sort of clicked. And then we did a ton of shows together. And obviously you have the, the, the adrenaline rush and the, that sort of, you know, bonding experience of being on a stage together. Mm. We, we used to do these 90-minute long-ass sets that's a fusion of Van Pletsen and Early B and all the collabs. And so you have that, which is obviously this amazing high, but then you also have the, the long drive back and the sleep at the hotel or going get food or smoke hubbly at this place he loves hubbly you know oka oka pipe and we would just chat and we never ever ran out of um things to chat about and conversations and and i mean we were one night driving home at two in the morning from a, a show in porch and uh all the tires blew out because someone packed huge boulder sized rocks over the darkest part of the road and all the air it was like the airbags came out and we were like sitting there at 2 30 in the morning and i knew this is not good you know because someone put the rocks there and um yeah we it that's a whole long 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 and slightly traumatic story but oh my god yeah. we had a lot of sort of ex experiences like that um you know that bonded you that happens often in between the the shows that that kind of just um i think it just bonds people and we chat you know every week with its voice notes or phone calls and um we can't wait to just make more music together get on stage again and we it looks like our show in in amsterdam in on the first of december is gonna happen yes um so that's we're already looking forward to that oh that's so lacquer you know i was thinking about the last time that i saw you before like 
the whole world went to shit. And it was actually at Romeo's in Malville. The music video shoot. Yeah, when you were shooting your music video for Dronkop Lifter. And like... Yes. It was so lacquer. I remember the set was a total riot. And like the Jägermeister was flowing, which was lacquer. Flowing. <laughs> and I came in with beer who is the experiential marketing manager for Jägermeister. And as we came in, we were just handed to Or just the queen. Or the queen. <laughs> the queen, she would love that. <laughs> B-dog the queen. But, yes. but how lacquer has it been to be championed by a brand during a time that's been not so lacquer over lockdown? No, I must say we, we have such a cool relationship um, with Jägermeister and they've really looked after us like well from supporting us with putting together really cool live stream things to get, helping us get extra um props and decor for music videos to always just being on board and keen um to 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 do cool stuff they're now even allowing us and i don't know if i should say this because mm. it was yeah. Say it. It and is deep in. Say it, and if we can't, uh, if we no, can't put like it out there, to, then we can cut it. We 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 have a lot of sort of weed-driven stuff as well in our music, and you know, visually, and usually you can't have that happening in the same thing as like a Jägermeister, but we we can. <laughs> So you found ways around that. No, we, we have. I think, I don't know. I don't know how that happened or why it's even important, but we, we're very um, grateful and very fond of our relationship with Jägermeister. I think they're one of the, the most sort of punk brands for still sticking with um, musicians, especially during a time of musicians not being able to do what they do and alcohol bans. Mm. So, yeah. You know, one of the things that Van Pletsen does the best, and I've told you this before, um, is your music videos. They're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> oh God, to try and find a word to describe them in a short space try. of time. <laughs> they are one of the zaniest, out of the box, um, like just like absolutely off the wall i think off the wall would be a great way <laughs> to describe your music videos but i love them so much because there's oh, always such you. a clear narrative and i mean i died to be a fly on the wall during the conceptualization of, <laughs> of a video um do you work with different people on different things or or, or do you have like a very uh, clear anchor that like, you know, you and Nax are the creative driving forces behind the videos that you do. Look, it always starts um, with me. It starts just the same way as the songs. With, it will be me and Nax mm. either driving somewhere or after a show, hanging in one of our hotel rooms or somewhere and you start just feeling the right amount of ridiculous absurd <laughs> so i told them that's not how you brought fussy bro this this is how you brought fussy 
whatever the whatever those feelings are and you embrace it and you start talking and eventually we're like oh wow that would be cool we should do that and let's go shoot you know zaberflut in, in this field of zab and let's um you know the 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 hard thing which i would never have thought ever was gonna sort of travel the way it did all became i was sort of growing my hair but and i wasn't sure what was happening with it and i played a show at you know at loftus and someone shouted yeah like well and <laughs> i was like i need to say something at the beginning of this video just to disclaimer and put to bed this awkward um phase of growing out my hair and so i said why don't you ask me why my horror is so groot and i'll say it's my dance horror and it really just was that <laughs> simple it wasn't deeper than that and it went like we still get tagged in that on a daily basis like whether it's children or adults or it just it's it's still out there and so it always starts like that. So we're very hands-on with the concepts and the mood and the idea and the wardrobe. And, um, but we usually work with PJ Kotzer from Bonanza Films, oh, yeah. who's definitely like a visual anchor for Van Pletzen and the band. And I think he's made six of the music videos. And um, Louis Menard has made Kakmal, which is a you know piece of art visually like it's classic louis minard now that was a trip that is a trip and then um recently we worked with the media farm on uh i'm not a bully i'm a baller mm. and um but i think just about all the other videos you know was was pj Kotzer. and when i look at some like awaken the lackerness which has always been a dream of mine because I used to love kung fu films growing up, and I've always wanted to, to just do something. <laughs> you know, I, I just have such a love for it, and he really did bring that whole vision to life with these crazy retro zooms, and he just gets it. I feel like if I chat to him and I play him a song and I say, this is what we want to do, he never goes, no 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 he just sort of gets it he's like okay cool yeah no i'll make it happen i can yeah i can let's do it awaken does it awaken the lackiness is hands down my favorite van pletzen video i love it so much like the three of you all in your little (laughs) nunchuck vibes and just (laughs) i just love it it's like Afrikaans Bruce Lee on crack. I just love it so much. <laughs> exactly. Only- That's that was the brief. Like we literally made a PDF and everything, and it all it said was Afrikaans Bruce Lee on crack, <laughs> with um, a, an element of Zen as well. <laughs> with an element of Zen, I love it. Yeah, but I mean, we put the the Zen in in Van Pled Zen. People don't realize, but there's a, a deeply philosophical message at the core of Van Pletzen. And I think the true fans and the loyal like fans, they totally get it. And they tapped into that. And that is the spirit of the lackiness and what it means, the lackiness and that it, the fact that it does come from within. And so does the grootness, you know? And I think people kind of understand the, the subtext beneath the satire. 
some people at least and it's it's cool to have people on both sides but it's really special to to have the listeners and the, the fans that that understands the nature of the lacaness the sacred art of the lacaness so it was the sacred art of the lacaness and the grutness that attracted Cuesta to work with you obviously obviously and uh, and i i'm still kind of amazed <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that 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 got pulled off because i was actually mixing or working uh yeah mixing one of dave's um from the kiffness's tracks even I think it was Ivan Polka. And we were, you know, the we I said he said to me, you can't go out, you know, two nights in a row or something because you're Bali now. I said, I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. I know. He sent and me he, the voice notes, which are spectacular, yes. by the way. <laughs> yes, and he laughed and, and we we both just sort of realized, hey, this is how songs are born. There's a song in there, and we when we got together to work on the track after Ivan Polka, um, he came in for some mix notes and it was literally like he whipped out this beat and I started and I sent back some vocals and next thing verses were getting laid down and we were chatting and then next thing we were like, you know, it would be really cool to get like a heavy hitter on this just to tie the whole vibe together and and. And when Cuesta's name came up, we were both like, yeah, no. do you think, you know, that's <laughs> possible? Because I don't know. And and I reached out to his manager and she said, cool, she'll pass it on. And he's very elusive, Cuesta. He's very elusive. He's like a snow leopard. <laughs> you know, it's, he's, you don't just summer get hold of, he doesn't even have a profile picture on WhatsApp. I know, right? Like. That's elusive. That is like, uh, anyway, so um, it looks like he's kind of keen. She, she's saying, no, he's keen. He knows from Plitz and he knows the Kiffness. He's keen. Wow. Um, like, but he hasn't heard the song as I send it. And then elusive, elusive. Eventually, two, three weeks roll by. And I said, Dave, let's just write a bridge on the section where we were imagining him. The, the bridge is kind of strong. It's the big Bali money mm-hmm. thing. And. We're busy recording that. My phone rings and it's a strange number and I answer and I'm kind of like, usually I wouldn't even really answer. I'm like, hi. And um, it's like, well, what's up, bro? It's Cuesta. That voice like, that Cuesta. sounds like he's been gargling with whiskey what since he was yeah, like it's Cuesta. <laughs> yeah, that's literally, how you doing, bro? Anyway, so I said, dude, you won't believe it. We are in the studio recording vocals on the part we were hoping you would be on. And he just said, well, don't do that. I said, okay, (laughs) well, um, are you keen? He's like, yeah, I'll come tomorrow at noon. (laughs) He doesn't say, are you at the studio? Does noon work for you? It's so vague. I'll come at noon tomorrow. I'm like, cool. I'm making available the whole day, you know, and I'll see you at noon. Mm -hmm. Can I send you the track? And he's like, nah. We'll listen tomorrow. So he arrives, uh, I think, at half past three, which I guess still still counts as noon. And uh, I'm like, cool, I'm not going to give a lot of disclaimers. It's just, you know, you get Bali and you get Bola. And he's like, no, no, cool, cool. And by the time the second chorus hit, he was like, no, stop. I'm on this. I'm on this. We, 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 I'm on this. And I said to him, okay. 
first of all, that's amazing news. Second of all, I'm going to have to insist that you write your verse right now and that you record it right now. Wow. And he was like, okay. Why? And, Why did um, you do that? Because he's so elusive. I got you. Like, got you. Fair enough. And I, we were planning on dropping the track in two weeks and we had a music video sort of date booked and and then I said and he said cool and he whipped out this incredible verse in like 20 25 minutes and then um, I said amazing would you be available to shoot on any one of these three days and he said yeah you can do this day and it's funny like we, we're shooting the whole day and by four we're like yo well, where is this elusive snow leopard? <laughs> and someone arrives who I've never met before at the, the video studio and they're like, hi, is Questa here? And we're like, no, <laughs> why? Who are you? It's like, no, he's, he's, he's going to cut his hair. Oh. I said, oh, well, this is a good sign. Come in. Do you want some Jagermeister? Please sit down. Um and then, yeah, Cuesta arrived. Next thing, I, I didn't even hear him come in or arrive. I just heard eventually, like 10 minutes later, I just heard, <laughs> like, what? Someone, what is that? Someone getting a haircut. <laughs> and there he was getting a fresh cut. And then, yeah, he appeared in the video and we had a lovely little hang and off he went into the snowy mountains. And you got a kick-ass song and video out of him. I love it so much. And it's also, it's good to have you back as well after a bit of a bit of a break, you know? Yes, it, it was so good to also just be able to, to make music again. Because sometimes it's hard to find the drive and the creative energy if there isn't, you know, like a massive festival or big event or a tour schedule coming up. You're like, okay, so yeah, let's make some, you know, music. And and the cool thing is I think Dave is actually really good at that, like knowing how to be a very um, successful sort of online artist that can obviously, you know, do incredible live shows as well. But And I think a lot of bands and artists are having to learn how to do that now how to translate what you do into the sort of digital realm successfully. Mm. Um, and making that song and video just sort of reminded me again that, hey, we got to keep, we got to keep doing, you know, what we do and keep making music, even if the platform is <laughs> dead in the water. <laughs> <laughs> But tell me, I know that at any given time you're working on several things. What's next for Peach specifically? You know, for the first time in a long, long time, I feel like I don't actually even know. I feel like there's, I'm, and I'm kind of at peace with that. I'm kind of embracing that um trying to plan too much or anything really too too far during these times you're just sort of setting yourself up to feel some sort of anxiety mm -hmm. or disappointment 
So I'm using it as a time to try and slow down and take things a bit slower. And in doing so, it's opened another plane or, or sort of space creatively where I'm like, whoa, I'm, I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of potential things happening and I'm not really pushing too much for anything, but I mean, there's a possible yesterday's pupil and Valley 16 collab, Ooh. which where I'm like, wow, how could that be? And that just sort of happened during this, you know, slowing down stage, um, maybe resurrecting that a little bit, but then there's also, you know, Nax and I are, biz, you know, making tracks and so is Bitter Einder, but I don't think there's this haste uh, behind it of like, okay, we got to get it out because we want to drop it by Opikopi and then we need to tour in mm -hmm, November mm -hmm. and then people need to be streaming over December and New Year's and all the parties and it's going to, it's just sort of like, okay, without all that, what are we, what do you, what do you want to make? What do you want to do in this new space? Can you do something that you yourself don't know what that could be yet? And just being sort of open to that. And I obviously I'm I'm looking forward and I'm holding thumbs that the show in in Amsterdam or the shows in in Netherlands will happen in the beginning of December, um, and you know we'll we'll keep making music, but there's no. It's kind of this might sound weird, but there's a kind of freedom that comes with relinquishing that sort of goal driven control and just trying to see what you can do with each day mm -hmm. and enjoying that without because I think now if people spend too much time in their minds in the future it's a recipe for making yourself feel depressed or, or anxious so you got to slow down and try and find little things that bring you joy or in in each sort of day and just break it down mm -hmm. like that and accept that you don't know where that's going to lead and that's beautiful <laughs> well peach i just wanted to say thank you very much for joining me on text talks today you are an absolute mensch of the highest order and i cannot wait to see <laughs> what the next chapter of your career holds i'm sure it's going to be immensely exciting i've got my eyes peeled on your timeline always Ooh, thank you thank you i'm not a bali i'm a baller got cash dollar big bali money trawler i'm not a bali i'm a baller i'm not a bali i'm a baller got cash dollar big bali money trawler i'm not a bali i'm a baller I'm not a buddy, I'm a bowler. Big time jeweler. Gold chains from my cola. Bitcoin explorer. I drive Mercedes. You drive Corolla. I'm a new iPhone. You're a Motorola. I'm a bowler. I'm not a buddy, I'm a bowler. Got cash, dollar. Big Bali money trawler. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. Got cash, dollar. Big Bali money trawler. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. Got 
Gonna pay you the labola. Gonna smoke a few Zola. And make love to your daughter. Got so much water. Gonna buy a creepy crawler. I WhatsApp Ramaphosa. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. Got cash, dollar. Big Bali money troller. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. I'm not a Bali, I'm a baller. Shout out to Peach Fun Platson for joining me on this week's episode. Text Talks is coming to you from the amazing Kaya Creative Studios at Neighborhood in beautiful Cape Town, South Africa. Shout out to Tom's, the only music store for keeping us connected. From me, your host, Tex, my producers, Jonathan Ings and Matt Lewitz, and our researcher, Elle Clapper. Catch you on the flip side.